Blog Talk Radio. Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to podcast number 318. We've got a great show for you this evening. Our special guest is Travis Smith. He's the author of the new book, Superhero Ethics. Superhero Ethics. Yes, that's the name of the book. And it's all about 10 comic book heroes and 10 ways to save the world. And which one do we need most now? He's going to join the show to discuss which superhero embodies the kind of ethical character we should strive to emulate in today's society. So we'll bring him on in a couple minutes. And I want to welcome you first to the show. It is Sunday, October 14th, 2018. As I mentioned, it's podcast number 318 of Guys Guys Radio. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. I just got back two hours ago from the New York Jets Indianapolis Colts football game at the Meadowlands. And I got to tell you, I've had season tickets for a number of years. I'm a, I am since, uh, since I'm a dad now and I spend more time with my son uh, and I really can't get out to all the jet games and he's a little too young. You can't bring a five-year-old out to the games with all of the yelling and the cursing and everything. But actually the crowd was actually incredibly well behaved today. But from where I am, even on the west side of Manhattan, to get to and from the Meadowlands by mass transportation, I got to tell you, it's a real haul. So first I have to take the subway from 116th Street down to Penn Station. Then I've got to take New Jersey Transit to Secaucus, get out of the train, go down the stairs, go up the stairs, go through the turnstiles again. And then go down the stairs again and then take the train from Secaucus to the Meadowlands. Then I visit some friends of mine who've been tailgating for years and years and years. I used to drive to the games when I lived in Jersey and they are in section L8. And I get off the train, which is 180 degrees away from L8. And L8 is actually in the second parking lot where you actually have to cross the street to get there. So it takes about 25 minutes to walk there from the train station. Party a little bit out there, then walk to the stadium. My seats are all the way back on the other end again. And then from there, I have a very good seat, so uh, two seats, and then back to the train. So today I figured I'll leave early. The Jets were winning. I figured, okay, I'm not going to leave at halftime. I'm there for the, you know, I like to tailgate because I get to visit some friends, even though I'm not drinking in 2018, no alcohol. And so far, nine and a half months, I'm doing it. And uh, has it been fun all the time? No, when everybody's drinking around you. But uh, eh, you know what? It's fine. Part of a bigger program called the Process of Elimin- Elimination Diet that I developed. But anyhow, from there, so I leave at uh, three o'clock. I walk over to where the trains are and I'm out of the stadium. Once you leave the stadium, you can't get back in. So I go, I see the trains there for New Jersey Transit. I walk over, the security guard tells me, oh, you just missed it. Next train, 4 o'clock. This is at 3.05 and starting to get cold out. So I had 55 minutes to kind of stand and mill around. Fortunately, there was a couple of big screens so I could watch some of the game. And I also had a little, uh, my little radio with me. I mean, those little iPod radios from way back, and uh, I had that plugged in, and I also have some music on there. So I, I listened to that, watched some of the game, and then then they let us finally on the train. So when they let us on the train for New Jersey Transit, it's about 25 cars. They make you walk all the way down to the first car, everybody, and then you have to walk back through the train to take seats. Then we have to wait about 15 minutes for the train to leave. Then we get to Secaucus, uh, the train up the stairs, down the stairs again, every, through the turnstiles, and then you've got to wait another 
11 minutes for the New Jersey transit train where everybody piles on to this uh, New Jersey coastline or whatever train going back to the city. Fortunately, I got, I did some visualization that the door would open right in front of me and it was only one person away. So it did pretty good. Got a seat, sat there, got back to the city, back to Penn station, got to go downstairs, uh, upstairs rather. And then upstairs again, take the subway, get back home. Fortunately, the C train was going local uptown. It took me two hours to get home from the Meadowlands, which is about 10 miles outside of New York, uh, to watch some pro football. And my seats are fantastic and everything, but I decided, you know what, that's it. Uh, the guy I went to the met at the game, and then I met a whole bunch of other people. He's interested. He's like a millennial. He's 29 interested in the tickets, had his number 33 Adams jersey on, and the Jets won today, and he's a great guy. He's my producer, Ryan, and he's going to take my tickets over at the end of this year. So this might have been my last Jet game as a season ticket holder, which I've had way back, going about about 25 years back. But um, it's time. It's it's time. I noticed just about everybody in the stadium is under – is under 30 these days. Whereas if you go to a New York Giants game here in New York City, most of the fans are like over 50, it seems like. But anyhow, the Jets won. It was a good game, and everybody's following their fantasy teams. And uh, so Sundays are always, you know, it's a ritual here in America, football. Speaking of other rituals, uh, our guest today, Travis Smith, he's going to talk to us about a book he wrote about superheroes and everybody and our, and our culture seems obsessed with superheroes. You see, when I, a couple of weeks ago, Comic-Con New York was in full swing and everybody's dressed up with all kinds of characters and the big ones in San Diego where everybody dresses up. And I don't know what type of statement it makes about our culture. Maybe our, our guest Travis can help us out because uh, so many people are so into these superheroes and dressing up like them. And is it, I don't know if it's a part, uh, it's a f- part and parcel to the fact that people nowadays, um, because they have some creature comforts, it's not about, you know, survival or fight or flight so much as it is about creating meaning in your life. And a lot of these superheroes represent different struggles uh, in different aspects and different values in different aspects of our, of our society. So we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. Uh, what else is happening besides the jet game? As I mentioned, my process of elimination diet. I'm on week 43 now, or 42 or 43, where I've given up something that I don't feel is very good for me every week this year. Developing this program, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I like the concept. I have to do it. And I have to do it at the advanced level, which is give up 52 things. I didn't even know if I could come up with 52 things. And frankly, I'm kind of running out because I have a I have a pretty decent diet to begin with. I don't eat meat. So all of that was out of the way. That's a lot of different things. So I can't give up pork and beef and poultry or because I already don't eat them. So I found something every week. I started, I figured start with the big one. I started with alcohol and uh, not that I needed to give up alcohol. I'm a social drinker, but uh, I figured, you know what? It's not that good for you. Maybe let's see if you can go a year. You got this thing covered. Okay. Go a year. See if you can go through all the different situations and opportunities and parties and out in cafes and out with your friends and everybody's drinking beer and sparkling wine and shots of tequila and margaritas and and not have a drink the entire year. And our culture, it's really, uh, you know, alcohol fueled. It's amazing when you're not drinking, when you don't drink and you see how people are pounding drinks. It's amazing. It's quite quite a sight to behold like it was 10 o'clock in the morning i'm on the train to uh the meadowlands uh, met met life stadium as they call it and uh you know a lot of young guys they got their 12 packs of bud and bud light and miller light <laughs> and then you get to the stadium and everybody's firing up the grills eating that charred meat drinking more get inside more beers it's like that's our culture. It's a pretty pretty amazing. But everybody's having a good time, and there was no problems. There was no fighting and all. I remember it used to be much wilder at the stadium, especially for jet games. People would just really let out 
all their anxiety, screaming. But actually, the Jets look pretty decent, like they may have turned the corner and have a decent team and something to build on, unlike our other team in New York here, the New York Giants. So again, this is Guys Guys Radio, the place where, where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. It all started with my novel, which you can still, I'm still getting checks on it for, uh, it's called The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love. It's a novel. It's about two guys competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. You can still find it in some bookstores, but mostly at places like Amazon and the e-tailers, and you can get the physical copy or an e-copy. I hope you will support it. Guys, Guys Radio is on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and the platform Blog Talk Radio. As I mentioned, 318 podcasts, all available for your downloading pleasure whenever you want to listen. And what I've done is kind of create a scenario where we, because I believe that a lot of people, and men in particular, are seeking now, seeking for something more than what's been fed to them in terms of their jobs, their careers, Uh, how they live their life, the fact you work your butt off, you get older, they throw you out of your job, and they put you on Social Security, whatever, you get old, and then you get sick, and that's the end of it. I think guys are looking for something more. They're saying, is that all there is? I have a lot of boomer friends who are coming towards retirement age, and they're like, they're looking for more. They're looking at their waistline. They're looking at their bank account. They're saying, what is, who am I now? What, what, what is there? What is it all about? So what we're doing on Guys Guys Radio is we're offering kind of a buffet or a smorgasbord of different guests who offer different teachings, thinkings, considerations about how we live, how to live, and considerations about that, whether it's about wellness, something like tonight's guests, superheroes, what they mean to us, relationship experts, channelers, metaphysical folks. I've got a uh, gambling expert gambling addiction expert coming on. We've had a couple of comedians come on the show. And, uh, you know, after 318 podcasts, I've gotten myself a free education because my guests are fantastic. Our audience keeps growing and it's a lot of fun. Everybody learns and you can decide, hey, I buy what they're saying. Hey, maybe I don't. But what I'm trying to do, well, what I'm doing is I'm putting things out there for you, for you to consider. And if you dig it, great. And if you don't, Okay, I'll be back in next week or actually in about four days because now as the show is picked up, Steam, we're on twice a week. And this is our Sunday show, 8 p.m. And then we have a Wednesday show at 7 p.m. And most of our shows, I'd say 90% of our shows are live. And I like to do the show live because it creates a different type of energy. You can call in the show anytime you want to talk to the guest. Call on numbers 347-945-5834. I know a lot of people don't call into podcasts. That's not how the experience usually goes. But if you want to, you want to talk to the guest, boom, I'll put you right through. 347-945-5834. You know, I'm working on a book based on all the things I've learned on my show and some other stuff. And uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's a lot about what I've been talking about, a lot of putting a lot of tools out there and things that people can do. And it's interesting because one of the things I've learned and my guests have reinforced is that we have more power than we think we do. And if you ask for stuff and insist, because as uh, some people say, we are, you are God, three magic words, you are God. And that means the little spark that's in you, everybody has that. And then if you have that in you, then you can call on that. And if you really learn how to eliminate judgment and criticism and all the stuff like that out of your life and just focus on what you want. That's how you manifest things. And that's how you get what you want, feel what you want, think about what you want, intend what you want, and don't put any recognition or focus on the stuff you don't want. Because once you start putting it out there, if you put out there what you don't want and you keep thinking about and fretting about and focusing on obsessing about the things you don't want to happen, guess what? They're coming your way. So I decided I'm going to put my, you know, put myself on the line, start doing these things. So first of all, as I mentioned, I said, when I was waiting for the train, I'm like, there's a lot of people trying to get on this train. I want the train doors. I'm going to say train, that train's going to stop. I ask, I am choosing 
have this train stop right in front of me. You know what? It stopped one person away from me. That was good. Another thing I did is um, I had a guest on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, Karen Noe, and she works with us. She channels with a group of uh, guides and ascended masters, if you are open to this. And one of them is Wayne Dyer. And she has a lot of proof uh, that she went through about she's actually communicating with him from the other side. And he's available to help. And so are a lot of other guides. And if you want to do some projects and stuff, you need help in certain areas, you can just ask. So last night before I went to sleep, I'm like, you know, I would like Wayne Dyer to help me out with this nonfiction book I'm putting together. I'd like to get some help from Dr. Dyer. Well, today I had my little old fashioned iPod, this little tiny little square. It's about two inches by two inches. And I had a bunch of music on there and had a couple of radio stations. And because I'm having trouble with my iPhone, I'm probably the last person in America who has a iPhone 5S. And now the battery's kind of frying itself. And I'm going to have to get a new phone probably this week. So I brought this little because the battery just drains really quickly. So anyhow, I brought this little iPod, I guess it's called, with me. I plugged it in and I turned it on and it went to, I just put shuffle on the music and who came up? I had a bunch of Wayne Dyer CDs that I had put on my iTunes and uh, sure enough, here he comes with a whole bunch of teachings about I am and uh, Neville and people like that and talking about how you make things happen. I'm like, this is fantastic. So I took it off shuffle and I listened to him on the, on the train with all these people pounding beers. I'm listening to Wayne Dyer going to the Jets game. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I've changed because I used to be one of the people who was pounding beers. There's nothing, nothing wrong. You know, you're having a good time. You go into a football game. But anyhow, I was listening. I got a lot out of it. I got almost exactly what I needed right now to help me with my writing by what I listened to today. So I think that can be real. You can do it. You can create things. You can focus on things. Just ask and insist and believe and have some faith and things will happen. But focus, most important, the thing I learned was focus on what you want and feel what you want, not what you don't want. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to bring my special guest, Travis Smith, on here, and we're going to talk about his new book about superheroes. I can't wait. You're listening to the Guys Guy Radio. All right, we're back. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. As I mentioned, Travis Smith is our guest, and he wrote this very cool book called Superhero Ethics, 10 Comic Book Heroes, 10 Ways to Save the World, which, which one do we need most now? And let me tell you a little bit about Travis, and then we'll bring him out. He's got a PhD from Harvard, not too shabby, and he's an associate professor of political science at Concordia University. He's been collecting comic books since he bought Uncanny X-Men, number 207, with his allowance in 1986. His writing has appeared in the Weekly Standard, and Convivian magazine and uh, this is a new book and I don't know if anybody's ever written a book like this about superheroes but not just about uh, their background but about the ethics and who represents who in our society so let's welcome to the show right now welcome to guys guys radio Travis Smith how you doing Travis I'm doing very well tonight Robert thanks for having me on the show Uh, My pleasure. I have to say you have a very unique, uh, fascinating book. Uh, I I will be all truth be told. I'm 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 always amazed at people who are really in our society. So into superheroes and as a as a moviegoer and somebody who's written a screenplay and been out to Hollywood and shopped around a TV series as well as a a film based on my book. I'm like, wow, there's such so much content, so much with superheroes and sequels and now you know, Justice League and Captain America and Thor and all these people. What is it about superheroes that has taken over our uh, society? And you're a guy who's got a Ph.D. from Harvard and you're really into superheroes. What What am I missing? <laughs> well, um, I mean, these characters have been around for many decades uh, and mainly appeared in you know, your four-color four uh, newsprint form uh, in the K-Kids Comics Spinner Racks, where right. the advertisements were, you know, for Sea Monkeys and Toy Soldiers exactly. and Daisy <laughs> and X-Ray Glasses. Uh, they, they, so they, they were, for a long time, 
um, at least superhero stories, uh, mainly uh, targeted to young audiences. There's always other genres. Comic books aren't simply about superheroes. So there could be westerns right. or horror stories that were not necessarily mm-hmm. or just... Or Archie or whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, of course, stories just for kids have a long history in the history of literature as, as always not really being simply just for kids. And so comic book characters... Um, uh, even in the 1950s and 60s, when they seemed even more frivolous than before, uh, there were often undertones and mature themes that were just, you know, scratch the surface and you might notice them. And I think what happened was, starting around the year 2000, I pin it on when the first X-Men movie was released, mm-hmm. uh, yep. the special effects had advanced enough that it was now possible to portray these kinds of stories on the big screen in a fashion with live action uh, actors and computer-generated special effects that they didn't seem so cartoonish. It had always been cartoons, whether it was the Super Friends or the X-Men cartoon or the Spider-Man cartoons. And, uh, you know, comic books and cartoons can always tell stories that it's very difficult to put uh, in a live-action format. That's one of the advantages of the genre, the medium, I should say. Uh, but starting around 2000, these more realistic-looking uh, movies became more possible. I remember when the first X-Men movie came out and Hugh Jackman was uh, p- portraying the character of Wolverine, and all right. of us who'd grown up on Wolverine were pretty sure you couldn't do a realistic version of Wolverine as much as we loved the character. We knew that he was just uh, much too fantastical. And Hugh Jackman proved us wrong. You could do a version of the character that, you know, you know, suspending disbelief enough, as you must in any given work of fiction, and maybe a little bit more for superhero stories. Hugh Jackman pulled it off. And in the last 10 years, Robert Downey Jr. has made Iron Man mm-hmm. come to life in a way in which, yep. I mean, 10 years ago, you had to be a comic book fan to know much about Iron Man. Iron Man right. was, was something that uh, people outside of comic book fandom really didn't know. And now... I'd say you can put Iron Man up there with Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter and Katniss Everdeen in, in terms of who are the great heroes that everybody knows about thanks to the movies. And at the same time, uh, Robert, in the comic books, uh, increasingly they've been tailoring their stories more and more to older audiences. Instead of those old-fashioned yep. advertisements, mm-hmm. it won't be uh, unusual to find advertisements for automobiles in a comic book today, for example. So uh, they, they, they aren't merely for kids. I'd argue they never were really simply just for kids. But uh, the audiences have grown up with these characters, and thanks to uh, the film-going medium that doesn't have the same... I mean, there's still a bit of a, a, a stigma attached to comic book reading in the, in the popular culture, although more and more people are reading them on their digital devices now. Lots right. of people are downloading comics and... and you know, uh, scanning left and right with their fingers on them to flip the pages. Uh, But um, thanks to the movies now, one way I like to put it, Robert, is when I was growing up in the 1980s, you generally didn't uh, didn't, bring your comic books to school or read in front of your peers. Mm -hmm. That would surely signal you out to be some sort of uh, geek and uh, nerd uh, and, and be ostracized accordingly. Um, whereas today, as you were saying earlier, people show up in their costumes at the Comic Cons and proudly put their fandom on display and exhibit a kind of you know, courage to put themselves in those outfits and put a lot of work into making them as realistic as possible and sharing their fandom and building communities. And that's something that didn't exist when I was growing up in the 80s. But now, nowadays as a professor, I can, I can use examples from superhero stories in my classrooms and even the cool kids know those stories now. Yeah. I, can, I can rely on them to be stories that uh, pretty much anybody in the room are familiar with now. And so when I wrote Superhero Ethics, part of the book emerged out of uh, an awareness of how, how familiar these stories are now. They've been around. They've got some sort of appeal, broad appeal around the world, some, some, something that makes them endure as characters. They speak to fundamental themes about the human condition. And now that they're so readily available in the popular imagination, I thought this was the time to write this book in which I could combine my, my lifelong interests, as you pointed out, in these stories, as well as my professional interests as a professor of political science, and see what I could uh, come up with if I thought, thought about these two things together.
Well, that's a great answer. And I get, you know what, I'll bet it would be a really fantastic and very popular course if you taught a superhero ethics course. Have you considered that or are you, are you doing it? I haven't considered doing that very specifically, although I'll be giving a guest lecture in a course on superheroes and mythology at a nearby university later this month, actually. So I know these kinds of courses do get offered. And um, what I tend to do is whatever I'm teaching, I often find myself teaching uh, contemporary political thought, uh, modern, modern, late modern, early modern thought, Mm -hmm. classical thought from the ancient Greeks. I have to draw on uh, the traditions. And one of the challenges in the classroom today, Robert, is trying to make the works of uh, authors of bygone era eras uh, seem relevant, interesting, familiar. There's a you know, t- tendency in any given culture to you know, focus on the present. And I think today's culture is really focused on the present and the future and less focused on the past. And there tends to be a prejudice against old books supposing right. that they couldn't possibly have any meaning, uh, relevance, mm-hmm. uh, they don't matter today, uh, for a variety of reasons that people might have for having that prejudice. And so I find myself regularly drawing on all kinds of popular culture examples, superhero stories being just one sort of thing, in order to make sure I have good examples to illustrate the ideas or the arguments that I'm presenting from old books in order to show how they, you know, these ideas continue to be familiar and relevant and that we might uh, find some value in, in reading old books and trying to learn from them. Okay, great. Um, you know, what I had mentioned earlier in the show in the intro was about uh, how I noticed these people, uh, you know, going to Comic-Con and they, 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 they took so much the time and the, the effort they put into their costumes and, Poison Ivy or whoever it is, just unbelievable. And I was watching the people and saying, my goodness, that took a lot. Of, that was an investment of a lot. And they're taking this stuff seriously. And I'm not, this is not critical. I, I'm amazed and astonished. And I'm like, what is this saying that this is going on now about our culture? Is it a search for meaning because we're not in this survival mode the way, you know, past hundred years ago, people grew their crops and they had to make sure the crops grew so they had enough to eat and all that. And now, you know, we have a much more different type of life and uh, is it, and finding meaning, particularly for millennials to me, seems tough because, you know, with music, it's always compared to, well, you know, at the sixties and seventies bands, you got Kanye, but you don't have the stones. And now you've got childish Gambino, but you don't have the Beatles. And and, and a lot across different aspects of culture, it seems like they haven't, you know, what, what is their thing? I asked a guy that I know a millennial the other day, who's your Frank Sinatra? And he's like, uh, Justin Timberlake. And I'm like, okay. And I was thinking, wow, you know, to me, you know, Justin Timberlake, very talented guy, good song and dance man. But Frank Sinatra is like a voice of the 20th century. It's a different ball game. And is, is, so what I'm saying is it's my question because I don't have the answer. And you study this stuff. Is this, is this, part of this popularity with the superheroes and the seriousness that people get into with the costumes and everything? Is it, is it an attempt to place meaning into their lives? Cause it seems like they're taking it real serious. And this is again, not criticizing people do this and like, that's what they're into. Cool. I'm just wondering why. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. The, I, I wouldn't want to be critical of the fandom myself either. In fact, I kind of wish it existed when I was younger uh, and uh, one of the things that's different today are the number of uh, young women who are open about yeah. their fandom regarding these kinds of characters. I mean, there were always some girls that read comic books that were definitely in a minority. Uh, they may remain a minority now, but uh, that the female part of the fandom is, is much larger and much more uh, in the open and public. Uh, than it ever was before. Uh, I don't know if there's then some reason to imagine that there's a crossover between that and costuming as a hobby, mm-hmm. although when you see the costuming going on, it's not simply the female fans. There are lots of men engaging in the cosplay, yep. too, as a hobby. And as I said before, building they build communities. They're learning skills. Uh, they're, they're developing a certain kind of courage in order to uh, exhibit themselves in these ways and then uh, you know, p- playing characters. Uh, it, I, you know, I, I think you know. I'm also a professional wrestling fan, Robert. So I've learned not to make fun of what other people enjoy oh, yeah, as no. their hobby. 
Yeah, well, um, you know what? I like risk. I grew up, uh, when I grew up, Travis, it was uh, for the superheroes. I had, you know, George Reeves, Superman, and then Adam West, Batman, yeah. and a little bit of Green yeah. Hornet here and there, a couple of other ones sprinkled here and there. And then wrestling, you know, I went back to like Bruno San Martino and Fred Blassie and Bobo Brazil and people like that. And now I see what the WWE has turned into with the characters. And it's it's really fascinating also. And there are a lot of millennials who like they're paying out to go to to watch these staged events on pay-per-view. Uh, WrestleMania is a big, big deal. And there's a columns now in the newspaper in the sports section about WWE. And I'm like, wow, this culture has really changed. So, well, they're, they're tremendous athletes. But to your, your previous point, yes. Robert, uh, whether it's wrestling or whether it's superheroes, um, mm-hmm. there is, uh, you know, both an effort in, in, in both of those kinds of storytelling to produce a wide variety of characters, both heroic and villainous, and sometimes in between, uh, that we can identify with, either because mm-hmm. they represent person that we think we are or the person that we that we wish we could be if only we were better than we are or other people that we admire to give us a kind of role model to aspire to uh, or of course the villains the kinds of people that we we, we uh, dislike or even love to hate and mm-hmm. and uh, you know every society dating back to ancient times will always advance hero characters as among the kinds of uh, people that are to be esteemed, regarded as praiseworthy, honorable, uh, uh, to be imitated, to be recommended as role models to our children. Hero characters are, of course, not the only kinds of characters. Uh, there can be some danger and too great an overemphasis on heroic qualities in societies that uh, you know then lead to people that are too, too, too willing to take great risks or offer great sacrifices, perhaps on behalf of foolish causes. But in order for any society to thrive, there's a need for some extraordinary people who will take greater risks and make greater sacrifices on behalf of the common good. And moreover, more in the spirit of my book and superhero ethics, I sort of downplay the heroism a bit and talk about the characters just and how they sort of might be read as metaphorical for the qualities of character that anybody and everybody needs to try to develop in themselves if they're going to live well, try to be a happy person, try to be a positive contributor to their communities and a decent citizen. And a quality like bravery, which hero characters across cultures always represent, is something that even if you don't aspire to be a hero, don't seek a career in one of those kinds of jobs that maybe appeal most to the people in whom this impulse is strongest, whether it's uh, firefighter or EMT, uh, examples where you could put your bravery and heroism on Mm -hmm. play on a regular basis, it's still the case that no matter what your job, you're an author like, like myself. It takes courage to, to, to write a book and to put your name on it and to put it out there and, and be willing to have yourself judged instead of just simply keeping diaries to be kept for yourself. And right. you also know that, that, that doing that and then learning how to receive criticism and learn from it and then push yourself further are the kinds of things that, that only make you uh, a better author but make the, the product of your, your creativity something that might have a greater positive effect. So bravery is a universal quality that no matter what kind of person you are, uh, having more of it will help you in your life and help you be of more good to those around you. And so hero characters, while, as I said, excessive impulse to heroism might be something that can be dangerous and we might tone it down, uh, Teaching teaching an entire generation to be cowardly, uh, teaching an entire generation that it's you know don't try to be the hero, don't be brave, uh, is not something uh, that either as individuals or collectively we're going to benefit from. And so that's one quality that I think makes these characters have universal enduring appeal. Cool. Um, let's talk about the book itself. Let's get into that. Um, I think the way you set the book up is also very cool is that you've taken 10 superheroes and you kind of pitted them one-on-one against each other and had a little uh, face-off with each one and then decided, okay, here's the, cu- the handful of finalists. 
to come up with who is the kind of, uh, in your words, uh, you'll have to correct me on this, kind of the, the, the superhero who is best exemplifies the qualities that we would look to in today's society. And I won't say who that is, but it's pretty fascinating. So how did you, uh, who are the characters, who are some of the superheroes you chose, and why did you use this kind of template? And then what was the criteria to choose the superheroes, and uh, how did you kind of, how, how did you decide who goes up against who? Must have had a lot of fun with this. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's, a, that, that's a big four-part question there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, right, um, I, I, I set up the I set up the book uh, uh, to have the, to pit characters against each other in, in specific chapters, and I wanted the characters I pit against each other to have something in common, but still some essential difference uh, so that I wasn't just repeating the same kinds of ethical analyses regarding uh, the characters who, you know, maybe their costumes are different and their origins are different and their teammates are different, nevertheless might from an ethical perspective represent something uh, too similar. Uh, so for example, when I, when I discuss Wolverine, one of the themes in Wolverine is the idea that, don't be what you don't be what they made you is the advice he gives his daughter and the movie mm-hmm. Logan that was last year that was really good. Very good. There are other characters like Black, like Black Widow in the Avengers movies who would also be a good example of someone who represents don't be what they made you. And so I had to make some choices regarding which characters to choose. And when I was setting up the book, I went with characters that were going to have the most uh, popularity or familiarity uh, for general audiences so that you didn't have to be somebody like myself who's read much too many comic books in your life to be able to know who they were. I didn't want to engage in too much uh, tedious exposition. I wanted to rely on characters that, generally speaking, especially thanks to recent movies at the time, more and more people were more familiar with them. And so that was a major criteria in deciding which ones to go with. They had to be distinctive in these ways. They had to be very well known. Uh, and then what I did is I, I set up the book so that I would start with the characters that dealt with issues that pertained to our animalistic nature most first. So I started looking at the Hulk and Wolverine. And then as the book progressed, I looked at characters. You, uh, in your earlier remarks, you made uh, a reference to the idea that maybe there's a divine spark in everybody, if I'm not mistaken, Robert. Yep. I moved toward the idea that there are some characters that represent what, uh, whether from religious traditions or classical philosophical traditions, would be regarded as most divine in the human condition. And along the way, I passed through characters like, so I should say Thor and Superman are the ones I I decided to look at as divine characters. Along the way, I looked at characters that represent qualities uh, like our imagination and our willpower, things that, uh, you know, um, aren't necessarily themselves rational, but uh, guide how we use our reason or affect how we use our reason. And so I looked at characters there, Iron Man and Green Lantern, and, and listening to Guys Guys uh, Radio, Robert, I think that the, my chapter on Iron Man might be of the most interest to a lot of your mm-hmm. listeners. Yeah. Given in that chapter, I discuss how problematic taking a strictly materialistic worldview is to anybody who wants to live an ethical life and to anybody who wants to uh, be a good role model to others and find meaning in their existence. So Iron Man's a chapter where I take time to look at what happens if we think of ourselves in a materialistic way like that, like Tony Stark does. And then I compare Batman and Spider-Man about our role as uh, members of communities. I look at Captain America and Mr. Fantastic from the classical lens of, is it best to live the active life or is it best to live the contemplative life? And then those five chapters, I I sort of uh, make some decisions regarding uh, who I like best. Which uh, the superheroes, in your opinion, most represents uh, every man's struggle in today's society? Oh, um, every man's struggle. Um, I think I, I use Spider-Man to to represent mm-hmm. uh, that, and I think that's one of the reasons why that character it is the sort of most uh, successful character in the Marvel comics. 
universe. I, I think that's pretty much not debatable. Um, um, and, you know, Peter Parker uh, is somebody who's got some extraordinary abilities, both natural in terms of his intellect uh, and, and uh, unnatural in terms of his wall crawling, etc. Um, but otherwise, it's presented as somebody whose life is mostly like anybody else's. I mean, you can, maybe you could speak to whether or not it's like anybody in New York City's or at least from, you know, from the imagination of New York in the 1960s, supposed mm-hmm. um, to be familiar uh, to all of us. Somebody who's striving to do the best that he can, but doesn't always succeed, uh, has to juggle so many responsibilities. Uh, he tries to recommend responsibility above all else as a character trait, uh, but that leads him to have a bit of a, a guilt complex uh, for reasons that are, pertain to his origin story, where he lost his uncle due to his own inaction. Um, but I, I talk in class about how he's both, um, and when I'm talking about these characters with my students, about how he's both representative of, of qualities that uh, any given person who is relatively well-meaning and, and just wants to be a good member of their community and wants to help people out when they can with what skills and abilities they have at their disposal uh, feel like, and at the same time, he's interesting because he gives us sort of an ideal type of an extreme case. Uh, I mentioned how in, um, in, in Plato's Republic, Plato talked about the ideal of the man of perfect justice. And the man of perfect justice is the person who always does the right thing and always gets a reputation for doing the wrong thing. And that's Parker Luck in the comic book. Whenever Spider-Man tries yep. to thwart bank robbery, he gets accused of being in cahoots with the robbers. And while that's an extreme case that doesn't really find any example in the real world, it is the case that, right, I mentioned about bravery before, the, the part of the bravery of doing the right thing is not only you know, having the guts to stand up to people. Part of the bravery of doing the right thing, of course, is the fact that there will be people who will accuse you of doing the wrong thing all the while you have the best intentions, maybe even good judgment about what to go about doing. And you can, and definitely because there are vested interests out there who themselves would uh, be endangered if other people called them out and did the right thing and exposed mm-hmm. them, they will besmirch you and, 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 and they will accuse you of being a villain all the while you're trying to do the right thing. And so Peter Parker, uh, when I have a, a classroom full of students who tend to be uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned, bright, uh, desirous of being good uh, members of their communities and contributing to the well-being of society, these kinds of struggles and difficulties are familiar. So he makes a really good example for that. Okay. Um, you mentioned a, a character I don't recall, and uh, again, I'm not the expert, uh, Mr. Fantastic, is he featured in any uh, uh, of the movies that are out now, the DC or Marvel-based movies? Yeah, he's been featured in three feature films in the last, I think, 14, 15 years. Unfortunately, they were all flops. I address this a mm-hmm. little bit in my book. His main power is his intelligence. He's sort of the philosopher, scientist, supreme of comic book, uh, okay. comic book universes in the Marvel universe. And, of course, notoriously, uh, the intellectual life is hard to translate into a poetical medium, right? It's, you, know, you don't really get very exciting stories about people you know, writing their philosophical treatise or conducting <laughs> experiments in their labs. They don't, they, don't make for, they don't make for great adventure films, and so you have to add other Not elements visual, of, yeah. of uh, an adventure story. I remember there was a... Uh, a made-for-TV version of Dostoevsky's *Crime and Punishment*, in which Raskolnikov was, you know, depicted wrestling with his conscience. But you know, all they could do would be like a 30-second montage of him holding his forehead in anguish, and you know, that doesn't quite live up to the pages and pages of Dostoevsky's exposition <laughs> regarding the inner struggle mm-hmm. of this of this character. Um, so the philosophical life, the scientific life, doesn't translate well into fiction. Uh, and so those movies uh, where he's most featured also, I don't, I don't think it's entirely coincidental that they were also not as successful, say, as Iron Man, where you've got somebody right. in a fantastic suit of blasting people. 
Okay. Um, you also mentioned uh, some of these, uh, you know, there's the good guys and then there's the heels, similar to wrestling. And then there's a couple of characters who are now being featured more in uh, in the superhero uh, area, and like a Deadpool, who's he's a good guy, but he's not the greatest guy. How, how do you account for uh, this this type of character now coming up prominence is a lot more gray area? Right. Well, uh, Deadpool or in the DC Universe, Harley Quinn, who appeared in the Suicide Squad movie, mm-hmm. are, are, are much beloved characters. Uh, and they were they're products of the 1990s. And the 1990s was an era in which some of the characters that maybe were established in the 80s but became really popular in the 90s or new characters in the 90s really took on a sort of anti-hero quality, right? Somebody who, you know, ends up often doing the right thing but not exactly in the right way and not necessarily for the right motives. Uh, And so they're not outright villains, but they don't have the qualities that you would normally associate with the squeaky clean heroic type. Uh, say your uh, classic version of Batman or Superman, the most people's imagination, unlike the current movie versions, in which they've darkened them and added more layers mm-hmm. of gray. Yeah. Um, I think part of the maturing of the, uh, of, of the genre of superhero stories is, you know, I mean, it starts off already with, with Peter Parker not being as perfect as, 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 uh, as other prior superheroes, having some flaws. You know, you can make these characters who are inherently fantastical, extraordinary, more familiar to us, uh, that we can see ourselves reflected in them if they're not quite so perfect. Uh, And so uh, adding more and more flaws or challenges for them to overcome or dark moments in their past, et cetera, um, can make them, you know, more heroic and, and more familiar to us. Uh, but there, right, this goes to an excess when you have a character like Deadpool who represents ultimately a kind of cynicism regarding heroism and right. a cynicism regarding the role of hero in fiction, um, more or less antithetical to the, the, uh, the premise of my book, which is to say, uh, let's see what superheroes might have to tell us about ethics, such that they might be you know, good role models for us to imitate in some mundane fashion in order to be happier individuals and better citizens. Um, whereas a character like Deadpool is inherently uh, saying it's ridiculous to do exactly that. And I think there's something in which, you know, in our sort of late era, uh, late modern society, uh, that, uh, you know, in, this is sort of maybe one of the, the, the byproducts of our egalitarianism. I think part of our, our egalitarianism in which we you know, you know, look at each other as equals is essential fundamental premise of a liberal and democratic society has the downside of us um, sneering at uh, examples of excellence for people who aspire to, to more in some way, to be better, better versions of themselves uh, better contributors to their society. And we often have an impulse to try to tear those people down in order, whether just to cynically make ourselves feel better about ourselves or just because we can't stand the idea that there might be somebody else out there who's better than us. And then, you know, we might want to look at them as a role model, but instead of doing that, we'd rather bring them down. And, uh, we'd rather not make that effort or pass that kind of judgment on ourselves that we could improve who we are. And so I think there's an appeal uh, on the basis of our egalitarian sentiments, which have uh, uh, sound liberal democratic uh, bases, uh, that that they also have this unfortunate tendency to make us uh, have these sort of negative attitudes towards uh, exemplar, exemplars of, of greatness of a sort that a, an extraordinary hero might represent. Got it. Um, a little bit of a curveball, but in curiosity, I try to ask questions that the, I think the audience might have in their minds. Star Please. Wars and Star Trek, um, do you, are they like the next version of DC and uh, Marvel? How do you see them? I know Star Wars was kind of based on a Western template, and then you've got uh, Star Trek, which to me is, is kind of a disclosure-type series because everything we learn about disclosure with the little drip, drip, drip of more information coming out – uh, seems to be have initially been portrayed in the Star Trek, either one, one of the series. How, how do you? That might be an idea for a book for you too. Star Wars versus Star <laughs> Trek. 
and everything that's involved right. with them because they, they've become their own, uh, uh, you know, uh, their own mythologies, two different, you know, you've got DC, you've got Marvel, you've got all the superheroes, and you've got Star Wars and Star Trek are both huge franchises that kind of play in the same area, but there are some differences. Could you just take a stab at how you see them? Yeah, I will. I always thought that Star Wars is more of a mythological fantasy story masquerading as science fiction, and I thought that Star Trek is more of a Western masquerading as fiction, the whole line about the final frontier kind of gives that away, I think, in the intro. Um, mm-hmm. But, and, and, and again, uh, one of the things I point out in superhero ethics is that while all the various superheroes have this thing in common, that they you know, fight crime or fight supervillains or invading aliens and superheroic ways with superpowers, the different kinds of stories that get told that different kinds of characters represent actually crisscross uh, around these genres. So, Thor definitely has these mythological, fantastical qualities as well as sci-fi uh, elements, whereas Green Lantern uh, is uh, a Western character, also out on the final frontiers of outer mm-hmm. space, trying to bring some semblance of order in a lawless cosmos, uh, being the, the, the sheriff, as it were, that shows up and tries to you know, stop people from meddling in each other's business in nefarious ways. Um, one of the things I, I, I about Star Wars, and and I, one of the things I think that's telling about how things have changed since Star Wars came out, if I might, Robert, is sure. I remember in 1977 uh, when the first Star Wars movie yep. came out, one of the first movies I got to go see in big screen, um, uh-huh. I think my second one. I think I saw I think I saw the Jungle Book first, and then Star Wars, and then Superman. If my dad gets the chronology right. Um, Star Wars, when you, if you remember the scene um, uh, uh, when Obi-Wan Kenobi is telling Luke Skywalker about Darth Vader, uh, he says to Luke that he's more machine than man now, twisted and evil. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that, well, Robert? Uh, no, right? but it sounds familiar. Okay. Well, some of your listeners will probably remember that Obi-Wan Kenobi described Darth Vader in those terms. What I think is fascinating is that back in 1977, I think he didn't need to add twists and evil. I think the audience knew that if somebody had become more machine than man now, right. that mm-hmm. something had gone horribly wrong, right? Um, okay. What I think is fascinating is a matter of how things have changed in our culture since then is that Iron Man, the centerpiece of the Marvel superhero universe, um, he's more machine than man now, and, and we envy him. We, we wish we were more like him. We wonder why we, too, can't have the same gadgets or implants uh, that would give us transhuman abilities like he has. We all want to be more machine than man now. And since you mentioned Star Trek, I'd say even when, even when we're introduced to the Borg in Star Trek The Next Generation, they were totally more machine than man now, too. And we had no trouble recognizing them for uh, the big bad when they arrived you know, in, in the Alpha Quadrant uh, in Star Trek. Something's changed, Robert, that now, uh, unlike with Darth Vader or the Borg in Star Trek, Iron Man appeals to us, uh, and, and I think that's, I don't know if that's troubling, but it's at least definitely fascinating. I tend to lean in the troubling side of things, but I know mm-hmm. that a, yep. uh, a, lot, a lot of people disagree with me on that. Uh, okay, just a couple more questions. And again, the book is fascinating. It's called, uh, we're talking with Travis Smith on Guys Guys Radio. His book is Superhero Ethics, 10 Comic Book Heroes, 10 Ways to Save the World. Which one do we need most now? And in the book, he pits different, a handful of superheroes against each other and kind of a, a face-off and then has some finalists at the end and then picks the, the final uh, superhero that best represents the values that we would want to aspire to in today's society. Is that what it is? Right. The idea was, you know, um, as I said before, different cultures have different kinds of heroes in different times, different circumstances, situations would call for a different kind of hero or call for ordinary people who aren't quite heroic to maybe exhibit or focus on developing certain qualities of character more to meet the needs of society at that time. And so I did try to not say which is the greatest superhero of all time, and I certainly wasn't right. going to say who's the most powerful. You know, it's not, it's not about who's going to win a fight. Piety says we always say Batman always wins. That's, that's humanity patting itself <laughs> on the back. 
Exactly. And Batman always wins. Um, but uh, and, and, and not just who's the most commercially successful, but um, which which character uh, possesses the qualities that, under the circumstances today, we could use more of. Uh, that our society would benefit from a reminder regarding how these qualities make us live happier as individuals, help us be better contributors to our communities, might restore uh, our, our societies uh, to, to conditions that we uh, wish they would exhibit or exhibit again when we feel they're lost. So those are the kinds of uh, considerations I put into uh, looking at these 10 different characters. Okay, uh, one curveball question, and then I'll have a final, final question for you, Travis. Uh, uh, the Joker. There's a fascination. He's kind of a, a, I guess you'd call him like a heel, but everybody, all these big actors, Nicholson and Heath Ledger and Jared Leto and now Joaquin Phoenix, and he's getting his own movies, and everybody's obsessed with the Joker. What is it about him? Uh, I'll put superhero in quotes. Uh, what, what is it about him? Because he's a bad guy that is so alluring to everybody and so fascinating as a character. Right. Um, I mean, as with Dark Vader, et cetera, villains can be just as, uh, you know, fascinating to us uh, in, in fictional form um, to follow their stories. Uh, the Sopranos, for example, wouldn't be such a great success in a television show if that weren't the case as well, right? Right. Uh, we, we like our movies about gangsters. Um, yep. I, I, when I talk about Batman... Um, who, as I said, is arguably more popular than Spider-Man, arguably the most popular superhero, you know, full stop. Um, He's popular even though we might not actually want to admire him so much, and we certainly wouldn't want to live like him, I think. Um, He's somebody that I depict as totally committed to the possibility of thoroughgoing rational control over oneself and then having attained thoroughgoing rational control over oneself uh, turned oneself into more or less a perfect machine, uh, and then also knowing what perfect justice would require, then seeking all possible, and mainly in Batman's case, mechanical means in order to coerce things to impose that order on society, a sort of monomaniacal drive to achieve rationalistic justice and fix everything for good. Now, in the Star Wars universe, the, the desire to fix everything for good is part of the impulse in Anakin that makes him become Darth Vader. Um, now, Batman wants to impose a rational order on the world, which is something that we in modern technological society uh, tend to be raised to, to admire, to desire. And so he, it's no wonder he seems to be you know, a good guy for wanting these things. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he has a very tragic origin. It's an imposition of rational order on a tragic cosmos, which, again, is what I think modern scientific technological society, when you look at the philosophers like Francis Bacon and Rene Descartes, who got a technological project underway, that's what they had in mind. How How do we transform a tragic cosmos into a rational order? And Batman represents that. Uh, Joker represents the the rejection of that, uh, that the world is inherently tragic and you can't impose rational order on it. The best you can do is embrace its comic side because tragedy and comedy are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. I point out that Batman's really humorless. Batman almost never cracks a joke. Pretty much the only kind of jokes Batman cracks are the ones that remind everybody else how smart he is. So he's a bit of a jerk that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Joker is the perfect foil for Batman because he's, he's the one who says, you're wrong, Batman. You can't, turn a, you can't turn the tragic cosmos into a rational order. Now, he goes too far in the other extreme, embracing the tragedy and regarding that as comedy. Uh, and, and that's what, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's this tendency to take a partial truth and twist it into an extreme that is the origin of injustice. So that's, that's uh, what Joker represents in that way. Um, but there's something compelling about the Joker to us, because I think even though we modern technologically oriented people in today's society who, you know, regard Batman as on the side of right and good, 
are kind of aware of the fact that this this dream, this hope, this project of of imposing a perfect technological, rational, just order on the world um, is something that a we probably can't do, and b probably shouldn't do because if Batman had his way, ultimately he would be tyrant of the world, uh, and so. Uh, you know, freedom, if there's going to be any freedom, is, there's no freedom under a coercive, rational order. Uh, but Joker represents the extreme of freedom used without any reference to the moral or the ethical. Uh, but uh, I think there's something about um, the way in which he represents what, I'd say, Batman's blind spot uh, that that makes him fascinating to us. Okay, cool. Um we had a caller and then they dropped off. So I'm sorry, caller. If you want to call back, we have a minute. You can call back so you can get you on. Otherwise, um, yeah, why don't you tell what's that? Travis? Say, if your caller is a comic book fan, our, our Olympic sport is telling each other that we're wrong. So I'd be glad to receive any call. <laughs> I was wondering like, okay, we've got a call here, but the person, uh, it just stayed on for like about two minutes. I figured they were going to take, exce- I just had a feeling they're going to take exception with something, but that's cool. So anyhow, if they, we want to call back, call, call back, we'll get you on. But um, uh, if not, if not, um, thank you for listening and calling. Um, why don't you tell uh, our listeners what, what you want the takeaway to be for your book and then where they can find the book and more about you, Travis. Sure. Um, so uh, I, 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 my takeaway in the book is that there are these different qualities, each of which is that uh, there are different ethical qualities, each of which speak to a different aspect of the human condition or different kinds of circumstances that we find ourselves in in life. And, and sometimes what's called forth, uh, as I said before, is our more animalistic qualities. And sometimes what's called forth is our, our more dignified and our more noble or our more divine qualities. Uh, and I, throughout the book, I explore the gamut from the one to the other. Uh, in the end, I do sort of take the side of saying, let's continue to do what we can uh, as, as, as beneficiaries of, of, of a civilized world to try to continue to uh, uh, encourage ourselves and each other to be uh, living lives with dignity, treating each other with respect, uh, aiming to... Uh, aiming at a kind of uh, nobility of the sort that uh, a liberal and democratic society makes it possible for more and more people to try to aspire to and help each other try to attain. Uh, Because if we give up on that, if we give up on that, then there is the danger that either we just have to retreat uh, into our pre-political or sub-political lives like Spider-Man's neighborhood, uh, or maybe worse, find ourselves uh, at the mercy of people who seek to be uh, heroic and demonstrate their bravery and courage in a more animalistic, uncivilized and violent way of the sorts that characters like Hulk and Wolverine represent. Uh, that maybe the, the, the Hulk, just to, to give a final word to that, is, you know, I think Bruce Banner is a bigger hero than the Hulk. The Hulk, the Hulk might fight other monsters and invading extra dimensional threats, but Bruce Banner's heroism comes in feeling the temptation to rage and great anger that all of us have at times and learning that that has to be reined in and not just uh, unleashed uh, upon our fellows. And so uh, that, that might be my ethical takeaway. Uh, uh, the book is available, uh, of course, on Amazon where you can get it in print or uh, in Kindle. It's available at Barnes & Noble uh, in brick and mortar as well as online. Uh, it's available from Templeton Press, and uh, it should be available wherever fine books are sold, as we'd like to say, Robert. Um, uh, I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't maintain much of an uh, online presence or a social media profile, so I, I can't send anybody to my, my Twitter pages or my Instagrams or my Facebooks because uh, I, I'm not the kind of person that... Uh, I know. Put, I tried to find you. <laughs> I was going to send you the promos for the show, but that's cool. That's all right. No, I, 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 I know that this means foregoing some things and missing out on some things, and, and, uh, uh, but, but that's the choice I make. And in, in today's crazy world, 
when, uh, when you're a comic book person like myself, you tend to be an obsessive personality, and, you know, I don't need to have those scrolls and feeds taking up, you know, untold numbers of hours in my day. And I could imagine with a, such a sensitive topic that people take very personally that you would get, well, you know what, it would could, could really blow up. I would, you know, part of uh, the, uh, the biggest challenge when you, I think, part of being an author these days and tell me if you agree or disagree is knowing the marketing behind, you know, you write the book, you get your deal. And then basically the publishing company wants to know how you, how are you going to sell it? <laughs> and uh, that's why social media presence, uh, if you can handle it, uh, is, it can be very helpful and important. If you're not into it, you're not into it. And for something, uh, a topic that you have, it could blow up in a big way, really good or you could be taking a lot of crap from people so you have to make your own decision well, on that when, when you look at the me- when you look at the message boards on the uh, <laughs> rumor mill and the dirt sheets in comic dumb um, yeah. i felt like my, my energies would be much better spent having conversations with somebody like you robert than than uh than wading through a thousand accusations that i forgot what <laughs> happened in 345 of this right. series 20 right. years ago and therefore i'm wrong 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 and yeah, I mean, but I mean, the, the part of the fun of being a comic book reader is the, your Wednesday trip to the store and having arguments with the other people over writers yep. and artists, mm-hmm. characters, stories. It's, it's a blast, it, you know. And, but but people are partial, and and as you said, you know, they 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 put that much attention into the stitches of each costume they make, yep. and are emotionally invested in the characters uh, that they read about. Okay. Well, listen, I congratulate you, Travis. You did a great job with the book and very creative uh, and very fresh and unique uh, subject matter. And I think there's a lot more. uh, I hope there's a lot more that you do uh, in this genre and in other areas like, you know, with Star Wars and Star Trek and villains and this and that. I think I think you can create a whole Travis Smith franchise of these type of books. So congratulations. (laughs) Great idea. Great execution. Obviously, you're a very sharp guy. Uh, Harvard PhD you can't beat that and uh, I wish you all the best and I'm really thrilled that you came on Guys Guys Radio because what I want to do is offer all different types of subject matter anything that has to do with life love and the pursuit of happiness and also tools and things to think about and considerations for our listeners so thanks so much I really enjoyed speaking with you Travis and all the best to you Uh, much appreciated I really enjoyed listening to many episodes of your back catalog oh uh, thanks preparing for the show and i really enjoyed today's conversation thank you very much for having me on the show today robert all right be well thanks so much travis okay everybody that's our show for this evening we went over a little bit but that's okay because we had a good time and uh, i think travis did a terrific job and a great book so anyhow this is guys guys radio your host robert manny we're going to be back on wednesday and we've got a little bit of a different area karen katherine J-E-G-E-D-E. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. J-E-G-E-D-E. Anyhow, I'm, I'm going to have to find out exactly how you pronounce it pos- pr- uh, properly before she comes on the show. But she wrote this book called Infinite Possibility, How to Use the Ideas of Neville Goddard to Create the Life You Want. It's interesting because I had mentioned Wayne Dyer uh, earlier, and uh, Wayne Dyer writes a lot about Neville Goddard. So it uh, should be a fun show and appropriate right in time with what we're doing. So anyhow... Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back Wednesday on Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, wishing you a great week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.